Locked away in attics, basements, and dark corners across the world are stories of beings and beasts that hide in the night. These are those stories. This is the Sleepless in Suburbia podcast. I'm Brooke, case manager for our team, and this is the audio recap for case 126, Bigfoot's My Neighbor. You're going to cut off your finger, Lo gasped, eyes going wide. Put the knife down. I looked at her over the ugliest, bumpiest orange and green pumpkin I could find. A large stainless steel butcher knife pointed towards the ceiling, pumpkin guts falling from it to the floor. What? I will admit, twice the pumpkin had dodged while I'd weaved, and once a hand cramp had sent the knife clattering to the table. It was fine. I was fine. Everything would be just fine. What? Claire snapped holding another crayon in place to her pumpkin while the glue dried. The what is, you're going to Michael Myers us with that thing one of these times it oops slips. She used air quotes around oops slips, quoting me. Then there'll be blood, and I don't want to clean it off my hardwoods or spend the afternoon in the emergency room. So put the knife down, you horror movie reject, and use some paint. Ouch. I mumbled, setting the blade on the newspaper-covered table. I'd be great in a horror movie. I pushed my chair back, heading to rinse off the tiny bit of blood that had bubbled to the surface after my last knife oops slip. It was just a minor flesh wound, but still, I wouldn't give them the satisfaction. While Lo, Claire, and Lark finished their pumpkin art, I pouted, scrolling through our social media inboxes, which luckily didn't disappoint. From the inbox. If I could figure this out on my own, I would. I know what's hanging around my backyard. I just can't prove it. Things become complicated when you tell people a Sasquatch has taken up residence in your backyard, but you have nothing to back it up. I know what I see, and I know it's smart. Very smart. Maybe it can sense the technology, radio waves or something. But if I so much as have my phone in hand, it vanishes. On the flip side, when I'm technology-free, it seems as curious about me as I am about it. To answer questions you're probably already thinking, no, it's not a bear. No, I'm not being punked. No, I'm not pranking you in a desperate attempt to end up on lifestyles of the seriously haunted or something. Thanks, Maya. Bigfoot? Lark's voice came from behind me, reading over my shoulder. We're going, right? We most certainly would not say no to a reoccurring Bigfoot sighting. Property details. Maya, to my surprise, lived in suburbia. Not another deep wood adventure like I dreaded from the time I read her DM. Her house did back up to a small wooded area, core land that stretched a ways back to an old rock quarry. It was several wooded acres, but nothing dense enough or sprawling enough to hide one of the most elusive cryptids in the history of cryptids. Nothing surprised me with nature and the supernatural anymore, so even if Bigfoot got there by strolling down I-9, where there was a will, there was a way to hide. Team update. This week in Crystal's Corner with Ford, I'm feeling all the good vibes. Ford is buzzing about citrine, a beautiful yellow stone that's known for presence, light, happiness, and vibrance. 
This stone is perfect for those who dream big and those who need a little nudge to dare to dream bigger. With this stone in your creation space or in your pocket, you're encouraged to dream big, bigger, biggest, while living in the present in a positive state of mind. The next time you find yourself adding to your crystals collection, pick up a beautiful piece of citrine. And that wraps up this week's segment of Ford's Crystals Corner. James had about 17 panic attacks when he heard about this week's case. I wish this was for dramatic flair, but alas, my 13-year-old is terrified of Bigfoot. This fear has been ingrained in him for as long as I can remember. Claire's grandparents own a small little farmhouse surrounded by woods, cropland, lakes, and lots of tiny winding streams. It's a little kid's dream, with countless acres to explore, knees to scuff, and dirt to cake on every single article of clothing. James loves going there, but even as a first grader, when the sun set, he was convinced Sasquatch was watching him from the trees. We couldn't get him to venture out of the house after dusk without Claire's Papa Bill. Apparently, if you're named Bill or are a Papa, you can protect someone from a Sasquatch attack much better than someone with the name Mom. Who knew? So as we packed the SUV to road trip to Maya, I had to make several promises to a highly anxious and agitated teenager. The most serious pinky promise made was we would not drive directly home after the investigation. Instead, we would take a little detour, making at least two stops before dropping off Ford and Lark and heading home. That way, if the attack squatch followed us home, we'd have several opportunities to lose it before leading it back to our house. The things we do for our kids, but it works out for us. There's a great winery we're going to swing by on one of the two stops. The girls and I have been brainstorming like crazy on how to make sure trick-or-treating this year isn't the Halloween that almost wasn't. Any 80s babies get that movie reference? If you don't know the movie or TV special, do yourself a favor this spooky season and watch it. I'll put a link on Facebook so you can watch it on YouTube. Okay, but back to saving trick-or-treating. We've decided to treat our yards. Think about it like that high school prank where you fork someone's yard. Not that I would have ever done such a thing. We're tying, gluing, somehow affixing bags of treats to a wooden dowel. We call them treat spikes. Then spacing them out across our front lawns. Some of our families and friends have asked us to make some of the treat spikes for them too. That way, even with this wonky world we call home, all the cute little ghouls and goblins can have treats to celebrate All Hallows Eve. I'll post some pictures as we get this project rocking and rolling. What are you all doing for the little ones this season? Find us on social at Sleepless Suburbia Pod and tell us about it. Historical Society Research Prue's been tapping into her superpowers as she navigates virtually teaching 60-something tiny humans. Her stress level is through the roof and traveling for cases is a bit complicated for her right now, but she has knocked the virtual research out of the park for this case. If she can keep basically a zillion tiny people engaged through a computer screen, she can do anything. Maya lives in an area that was once inhabited by the Hopi indigenous people. With a little digging, she found that Hopi legend and lore has an ominous warning for Bigfoot sightings. 
Their legends, passed generation to generation by elders, defined Sasquatch sightings as an omen for concern. Seeing a Bigfoot was a warning, not only for the person witnessing the creature, but for all humankind within the area and across the world. Some elders within the tribes believed that the Creator sent Bigfoot as a warning that evil times were afoot due to mankind upsetting the balance of harmony. Were Maya's encounters some kind of message or just a run-of-the-mill curious cryptid? The Hopi aren't the only tribes throughout history with legends of human-like giants. Across the country and world, you'll find legends of Bigfoot-type creatures, some so aggressive they're described as hairy cannibal wildmen. We really hoped Maya's Bigfoot didn't walk on the cannibal side of things. Sightings have similarities with the creatures being six to nine feet tall, covered in black, brown, or reddish fur, with footprints as wide as nine inches and as long as 25 inches. Most accounts have the creature being timid, often hustling away from humans when their paths cross. These encounters typically happen in more rural areas, deeper within the woods, not in the middle of a suburb. On-site interview recap. I knocked again, stepping back from the door, squinting behind me at Ford, tapping lightning fast on her phone. As I turned to leave, the door opened, slowly revealing a small woman with bright blue eyes and a long gray braid wrapped around her head like a warrior's crown. Oh, hey there, I waved, stepping a little closer to the door. My name's Brooke. I'm with the Sleepless in Suburbia Society. We investigate unusual happenings. I'm so sorry to bother you. But if you had a few moments, we'd love to ask you a couple of questions. She opened the door wider, revealing a crisply pressed white shirt, and I swear the exact same navy slacks my grandmother always wore while I was growing up. Her hands shook softly as she spoke. That's nice, dear. Is that a television program? She asked, smoothing down her perfectly polished updo. Never been on TV. We're actually researchers here doing an investigation at your neighbor's home. I pointed towards Maya's white bungalow with bright blue shutters and accents. When our investigation wraps up, we'll share the findings on our podcast. Pod what? The woman stepped out the front door, a black cat with yellow eyes weaving between her legs before the door shut completely. Oh, do we need to grab him? Ford asked, shoving her phone in her fleece jacket's pocket. Never mind her. Elphaba has a spirit all her own. She comes and goes as she pleases. The woman gestured to a porch swing. Come, sit, sit. Tell me about your poodle. Wicked? I asked, pointing to the shiny black fur slinking her way off the porch. The woman replied with a knowing wink. I loved that book. I went on podcast. It's kind of a radio show that lives on the internet. Well, that's so lovely. Well, I'm not sure I have anything exciting to share, but I'm happy to answer your questions to the best of my knowledge. She settled on the faded cushion, patting the open space next to her. Miss Jessica was full of stories. She and her husband, Stephen, with a PH, bought the house on their first wedding anniversary. He sold office supplies, and she earned the fun money teaching piano from the living room. Together, they raised four children and five dogs. Now, with the kids grown raising their own families, and Stephen gone for three years, 
It was just Miss Jessica and Elphaba. Maya had introduced herself when she moved in, even brought a plate of brownies for them to share on the first cool afternoon. Miss Jessica spent a lot of time puttering around the yard, but hadn't noticed anything of interest except a pesky raccoon that had recently begun ransacking her trash bins at night. Which was of no worry, her son Peter would handle it on his next visit. There had always been a deer problem, cutting her tomato harvest nearly in half. We listened intently, loving her stories and witty humor. Nothing was amiss for Miss Jessica. We thanked her for her time, waiting as she closed the big door, but before she shut the door, something sparkled in her eyes. Leaning back into view for just a moment, she said, Maybe take a jacket if you venture towards the quarry. The people I see moving back there in the trees have been wearing oversized fur coats. Lark met us back in Maya's front yard. The neighbors on the opposite side, the Fahams, haven't seen anything. The only thing they've noticed different over the past couple weeks is a cat or a raccoon or something getting in their dumpster. My head flicked up. Something's rummaging in their garbage? Sure, raccoons are something, Lark nodded, rubbing her arms. Yeesh, it's almost cold today. As if she'd read Lark's mind, the cobalt blue front door opened and Maya stepped out with an ear-to-ear grin. Ladies, welcome. Come in, it's extra crisp out there this morning. We gathered into farmhouse chic perfection. Sharp white, rich woods, and eucalyptus green. The dark-stained Butcher Block Island displayed brunch to rival any restaurant. Croissants, juices, spreads, fruit, cheeses, quiche, on and on. Ford elbowed me, reminding me to shut my gaping mouth. It's nothing. I run a kitchen. Help yourself. She didn't have to tell me twice. I reached for a strawberry crepe dusted with powdered sugar. Where do I begin? She said. It began one evening just after dusk, the sky still with watercolor splashes of purple and pinks along the horizon. Maya lugged a box of recycling awkwardly to the dumpster. She was surprised to find the lid of the recycling dumpster off. After dumping the box's content into the dumpster, she reached for the lid hanging in the dark shadow between the dumpster and the house. She froze. A hand, large enough to dwarf her own and covered in dark gray fur, rested on the edge of the dumpster. She had almost missed it. Four hairy primate-like fingers curled over the side of the bin. She slowly backed away, not wanting to alert whatever was attached to the massive hand that it had been noticed. Hustling up her back porch stairs, she heard the bins hit together. Opening her back screen porch, she turned, peering into the darkness as footsteps sprinted across her lightless backyard. Inside, not very well hidden by the screen and glass of the door, she watched the yard, but nothing moved. Two days later, Lying in a hammock positioned by the tree line, listening to Elvis songs and reading Catster magazine, which is actually a thing, Lark googled it, a tree branch snapped in the woods beside her. She pulled her headphones off, scanning the trees, at first seeing nothing out of place, until her eyes doubled back to a small, furry shrub. Slowly, she lifted her sunglasses, narrowing her eyes to see a little clearer, wasn't a shrub. 
crouched low to the ground was a gray shaggy dog or maybe a little bear, but she didn't think bears came this far south or were gray. Its knees were bent, its butt low to the ground, and powerful looking arms stretched up over the animal's head, covering its eyes. Maya didn't realize she was holding her breath until the animal lowered its arms and very human-like honey brown eyes looked at her. She gasped, sitting up in the hammock, nearly toppling backwards. That was no dog. The creature let out a bleeding sound, scrambling its massive body deeper towards the quarry on all fours. Catster? Lark grinned. Maya nodded. It's the best feline literature has to offer. Do you have a cat? I asked, trying to remember if I'd taken my allergy pill. Nope, she said, her voice sad. I'm allergic. I reached for another lemonberry scone. This investigation would make me so happily extra snug in my jeans. Was that the last time you saw the Bigfoot? I asked, slathering orange marmalade across the scone. Mm-mm, Maya said, looking out the kitchen window into the backyard. I think it always has an eye on me. The sightings became more and more frequent. Watching Netflix in bed one afternoon, she glanced out the window beside the TV, startled to see a face looking back at her. She screamed, and the part-human, part-primate, hairy gray face squawked back before dropping out of view. At the window, she scanned the side yard towards the front and the back of the house, but it was empty. Another time, she pulled into her carport, waiting for her favorite Buddy Holly song to end, when something shifted out of the corner of her eye. The movement came to a stop. Out the passenger window was a torso, covered completely in hair, except for a large scar on the right ribcage area. A thump came from the top of the car, and then the same hairy gray face from her bedroom window peered in at her upside down. The same human-like honey-brown eyes studied her quizzically, and its large nostrils flared in and out. Lifting the phone already in her hand, the animal jumped back, hitting the side of her house with a large thunk, spilling two trash bins as it raced towards the backyard, running on two legs like a human. Several times while out and about in the yard, like mowing the lawn or walking dinner to Miss Jessica after she'd had wrist surgery, Maya saw familiar brown eyes watching her from hedges or behind a fence. But if her phone appeared, the eyes would disappear. If I don't see it somewhere throughout the day, Maya looked past us towards the wood line. It feels weird. I don't know how to explain it. I just worry he's gone. And I worry and wonder until I see it again. Other Haunted Happenings This is a short list. Well, actually, it's a non-existent one. Outside of the Bigfoot sightings, there wasn't even as much as a light flicker in the house. Investigation Recap I promise, I said, leaning in Maya's car window. We won't hurt it at all. Or try to catch it, Maya repeated for the fifth time. Scout's honor. I held three fingers in the air. We aren't into capturing creatures, animals, or entities. We're only here to catch evidence. That's it. He or she or, I don't know, it 
will be here when you get back if that's what it wants. Promise. Maya nodded, nibbling her bottom lip. Okay, call or text if you need anything. You got it, I said, patting the roof of her car. Have fun at the 50s party. I want to see pictures. With a wave, Maya was off to dance the night away to Ray Charles, Doris Day, and Chuck Berry. While we spent the evening searching for one of the most elusive creatures on the planet. Lois sent us with three research packs for this investigation. Though with our investigation area being a backyard, I wasn't sure how many we truly needed. Our research packs included digital voice recorder, digital camera, full-spectrum video camera, complete first aid kit, flashlight, gloves, battery kit, Avon Skin So Soft Bug Guard, lifeguard whistle, honey, dog whistle, because the lifeguard whistle wasn't enough, bear bell, which I didn't know was a thing, but apparently warns attack animals of your presence so you don't surprise something with razor claws while out in the wilderness, and halt, dog repellent. I was beginning to get the theme. She thought we were getting mauled by rabid animals in someone's backyard while she was at home in her comfy bed. Cute, Lo. Real cute. Oh, honey, Ford giggled, holding the plastic bear filled with the syrupy sweetness up to the porch light. Because bears like honey, like Winnie the Pooh or something. I pulled out my phone, opening the text thread with Lo. Me, in case you were sitting around debating, you're hilarious. I looked up at the girls. There aren't any bears in the middle of the burbs. But there's a Bigfoot, Lark quipped. Fair point, I grumbled, stuffing my phone into my back pocket. Let's get this party started. A tour of the property revealed no Bigfoot tracks, strange tree markings, or anything nature-wise that indicated the presence of a nine-foot creature. We decided to set up two video cameras on tripods facing the woods. Unsure what Bigfoot liked to snack on, I pulled the box of Nature Valley bars from my glove box, left there for hangry post-hockey drives with James. Ripping open the shiny green package, we made five small piles of granola bars along the edge of the property. Surveying the backyard, I had no idea what to do next. Deciding the best action in the beginning was a little inaction, we unfolded a blanket and sprawled out in the middle of the yard. Stars dotted the sky overhead, occasionally interrupted by the flashing lights of a jumbo jet. There was still the faintest nature sound, winter not yet silencing them until spring. The autumn wind was cold, making me thankful that Lowe had known us well enough to pack gloves, because we'd all forgotten them. From the edge of the woods, towards the right edge of the property, a stick snapped. We all froze our whisper chattering, staring in the direction of the sound. Lark popped up, pulling me up behind her. Stomp, stomp, stomp. Came from the same direction. I glanced down at my hand, the digital recorder light glowed red, catching the noise in its audio recording. Here it is.
Cautiously, we made our way across the yard, eyes scouring the woods. Ford's flashlight blazed bright, causing me to jump at the sudden brightness. The farthest pile of granola bars were gone. Close behind us, footsteps pounded through the yard. I caught just a glimpse of something tall as Ford's flashlight beam waved wildly. Ford, over there, I said, blood pounding in my ears. She pointed the flashlight towards the woods, just in time to watch the second camera fall sideways. A large hedge's branches rustled from side to side, leaves falling to the grass, before finally going still. Ford picked up her pace, lightly jogging towards the hedge, looking back at Lark and me. My eyes darted between Lark and Ford. Lark laughed, looping her arm with mine. Yes, Auntie, she said through giggles. We're going back to the woods. I held up a finger. I needed, I just needed a second. Back at the blanket, I yanked open my research pack, pulling out the dog repellent, dog whistle, human whistle, and flashlight, repeating the same with the other two packs until my arms overflowed with miscellaneous items that likely would do us no good if we were actually attacked by Bigfoot. Here, I said, holding my arms out to them. Inside the tree line, a small branch hung broken and swaying back and forth. We started in that direction. Our three flashlight beams casting ominous shadows over crooked tree branches, looming jagged tree stumps, and the occasional shrub. Lark jumped back as something hit a pile of decaying leaves at her feet. Another step and another object fell down on us. I grabbed Ford's arm, my mind going back to that night with the headless horseman launching rocks at me, marring my shin. Another projectile, this one bouncing off my head while another one pegged Ford in the shoulder. We were under attack. Ford cast her flashlight skyward as the autumn wind shook large branches overhead, sending a light pelting of acorns down on us. Not a Bigfoot attack. Just a few pesky acorns working their way to the forest floor. Together, we continued further into the trees, closer to the quarry. Look, Lark pointed to an area of freshly disturbed dirt. Just past the disturbed dirt was a fallen tree, propped at an angle by another, much sturdier tree. Other branches were draped along the fallen angle tree, creating a lean-to-type shelter. Inside the shelter, the ground was covered with mounds of pine needles and what looked like shredded newspaper. In the corner was a pile of takeout food containers. Is that? A thunk-thunk-thunk caused Ford's words to trail off into the night. Footsteps shuffled through the woods. Then, a thunk. More shuffling steps in the crunching leaves and another thunk. Tentatively, I took another step towards the shelter and heard this. I will play the clip from my audio. Give it a listen. I froze in mid-step as a car horn blared behind us towards Maya's property. I raised my phone, taking several quick pictures. All five of the shots I took 
ended up blurred, out-of-focus messes. We were greeted in the backyard by Maya. It was just after 1 a.m. I'm sorry, I must have bumped the horn with my elbow when I got out, she shrugged. I wasn't sure I bought her story. I wondered if she was more worried we would actually find something. But as a klutz, I couldn't fault another for having a clumsy moment. We said goodnight to Maya, letting her know that after reviewing evidence, we'd be back in the morning to share what we'd found. Wrap up. The recording is something, Maya grinned. I didn't even think about recording its sound as proof. I felt the tension ease from my shoulders. The worry of her disappointment over no visual evidence dissipating with it. Maybe some things are better left off the internet and digitally documented, Maya continued, sliding a brown box across the coffee table towards me. Some scones for the road. I noticed how much you liked them yesterday, she said with a wink. How much I'd like them yesterday? What she meant was, I saw you pig out on them like it was your day job yesterday. Either way, I grinned ear to ear. Do scones pair well with wine? I asked, considering saving them until we made it to the winery. If that's what brings you joy, that's what they pair with, she shrugged. The audio evidence was all Maya really needed. Not to play for her friends and family as proof of her experiences, but instead for herself. A way to document her story with the hairy creature in the woods. She okayed us sharing our evidence on the podcast, but asked us not to share her city or state. She worries that the more people who know about her friend from the woods, it would just be a matter of time before someone came looking for it. She wants it to stay safely in the woods for as long as it desires, without fear of being hunted, stressed, or chased away. Though we can't say with absolute certainty that there's a Bigfoot in the quarry woods, we believe something is out there. We captured evidence of it. And pairing that with Maya's sightings, maybe that night we captured the voice of Bigfoot. We will likely never know for sure. But with Maya's thumbs up and approval from the entire Sleepless in Suburbia team, we're comfortable closing case 126, Bigfoot's My Neighbor. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening behind the scenes, you can stay connected with us on Facebook and Instagram. We're at Sleepless Suburbia Pod. And if you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on our new case every Tuesday. We'll be back next week with another case. Until then, thanks again for listening to Sleepless in Suburbia. One of the biggest compliments you can give us is to invite a friend or two to listen if you enjoy our cases. The more on these spooky adventures, the better. Until next week, stay spooky, everybody.